good. I knew I'd be on eventually. Anyway, it's good to see you tonight. I know many of it's spring break for many of you, and so I'm glad you made it tonight. I'm excited to be back. Uh, my wife and I were down in Arizona for three weeks, and we went down to Mexico for a few days and ministered at a clinic there, and uh, it's, it's just good to be back. I love Colorado. I love being here, and it's exciting. I get to speak tonight, and then I get to speak on Sunday as well, so uh, I'm excited to be back, and uh, it's great to see you. Um, you know, first of all, I just want to say uh, we're going to jump right into the Word tonight. Um, I guess... Uh, I've been asked to speak on the first part of John 16. So if you want to turn to John 16, I'm going to pray. I want you to say this with me. First of all, uh, just say this with me. Say, Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you that it makes a difference in my life. I thank you, Jesus, you're the living word. And you've released the Holy Spirit to live in us as believers. And so that brings the word to life. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. I'll tell you, let's jump right in. Go ahead to John 16, and uh, I'm going to pull out my glasses if I can find them. What did I do with my glasses? I know. Honey, check to see. I think they're in my purse. No, I mean my purse. I mean my my jacket. (laughs) They're in my purse. No, they're they're in my jacket, I think. What's that? That's it. Thank you, dear. This is my wonderful wife. Give her a great hand. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm going to jump right in here with my glasses so I can read it. And uh, starting with verse 1. Now, I want you to know that this is the Last Supper discourse. Um, John is the only one of the gospel writers that records it. But this is right before Jesus went to the cross. How many of you know these last words were incredibly important? And so we pick it up in John 16, verse 1, and Jesus says this, These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogue. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. You know, it's interesting to me, as you know, I minister in Pakistan every year. I go to Pakistan with Leif Hetland. We have machine gun bodyguards. It's really, you know, and then we minister to the underground church leaders there. And it's, it's an amazing experience. But it's interesting that terrorists, Muslim radical terrorists, and there's a lot of great Muslims, by the way, who love God, uh, who... who really respect Jesus and love Christians and, uh, you know, and, and it's really interesting. When you talk to a Muslim, it's always better to say I'm a follower of Jesus than to say I'm a Christian because Muslims, they have a problem with Christians because they have this history of the Crusades and so uh, they, ju- they just have this block. But if you say that I'm a follower of Jesus, they respect Jesus. Jesus is in the Quran. He's mentioned uh, as a virgin birth. It's also mentioned that he was a miracle worker. But it's interesting that radical Muslims, actually when they kill Christians, they actually think they're doing a service and that they're going to be rewarded for it. And that is sick. Now, that, it happened before that. There were Christians being killed pr- way back. And, you know, in fact, Saul, who turned into Paul on the Damascus Road, held Stephen's coat as he was stoned to death. And it's recorded in Acts chapter 7. So what I want to say to you is that these words were prophetic for the moment, but they even speak 2,000 years later, they still speak truth. 
Going on in verse 3, it says, And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. And I will honestly say that I don't believe radical terrorists really know the Father. They don't really know the Father. And that's why they do these things because uh, in their mind, they've been, it's been you know, perverted in their mind. And uh, going on to verse 4, it says this, But these things I have told you that when the time comes you will remember that I told you of them, and these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Now, I want to pause there for a second, and I want to jump into the next two verses. I'm going to put the next two verses up on the screen, and in case you don't have your Bibles with you, uh, or your, you know, your iPhone, or your... Uh, you know, whatever you use to, to read the word. But um, if you look at verse 7 and 8, these are very important, this is a very important, two very important scriptures that I want to kind of land on and kind of open it up. It says, nevertheless, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now, how many of you know that the disciples didn't think it was their advantage that Jesus goes away? And even today, a lot of people would say, if I had a choice to walk with Jesus when he was alive or live today as a believer in Jesus Christ, I'd rather be at the time when Jesus walked on the earth and I'd rather walk with him. But Jesus said, no, it's better that you, it's better that I go away because then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to live within you. And, uh, and so it's better to have the Holy Spirit in you than to have Jesus walking next to you. Anyway, here's what he says. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, I want to pause here, and, and this is going to mess you up a little bit, Alex, but if you could jump to the next, uh, the next slide, which is it, the word helper. And uh, it's interesting. In different translations, it, it has it differently. But you'll notice here the word helper. It sometimes it's translated counselor. Sometimes it's translated comforter. It's the word parakletos. Say parakletos. Now, there's an English word we get from that, which is paraclete. And the paraclete, actually what it means is one who comes alongside. And, uh, and so it, it's, it's the one called alongside, who comes alongside, the advocate or the counselor. Basically, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has many roles. He doesn't have just one role. And the amazing thing is when you receive Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of you. You're born again. It means you come alive. Your spirit comes alive unto God. And so there's an amazing thing that happens. It's hard to comprehend. And yet you come alive unto God because your spirit, at the point before you receive Christ, your spirit was not alive unto God. You might have loved God. You might have known about God. You might have known about Jesus. But until you really allow him to come into your life, you receive him for the forgiveness of your sin, at that point, that's when he... That's when the Holy Spirit comes into you, and you are born again. You are born from above. You come alive unto God. And, and so that, the amazing thing is that that word paraclete is that's someone who comes alongside of you, and he'll always be with you. He'll never leave you. He'll always direct you in times of difficulty. Whenever you're going through it, he's there with you. Sometimes our emotions are so out of control that we don't sense him there, but he's there. He hasn't left. He never will leave. Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And, and Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, but he was talking about the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, but the Holy Spirit is the part that lives on the inside of us. And so uh, to go on now, I'm going to go back to, to verse 8. I, we just talked about, it says, when the helper comes, uh, uh, it says, the helper will come to you, 
and if I depart, I will send him to you. And that's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out, and from then on, every believer who received Christ also received the Holy Spirit. And uh, it goes on to say in verse 8, it says this, And when he is come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, three things. Uh, and the word convict, is, it's an interesting word. In fact, you can, yeah, here it is. Uh, it's, it's a legho, which actually <laughs> convict... I don't think convict is the best possible translation here from the Greek. The Greek word is alejo, because I don't, when I think of convict, I think of a convict. Or I think of, you know, like, man, you know, I'm convicted. I, I'm going to jail because I was convicted. I was caught in the act of something, and so I'm going to jail, so I'm convicted. But that's not really what the word means. I think it's come to mean that in our language, but when the King James Bible was translated in 1600, uh, the truth was that word didn't have that full meaning. Really what it means is to bring to light, to reveal, to enlighten. In other words, it brings to light and there's something that happens on the inside where we come into a revelation of it. You know, oftentimes convict sounds awfully close to condemnation, doesn't it? I want you to know God never condemns. He doesn't condemn. When you feel condemnation for something you've done wrong, that's not God. You see, the enemy will condemn you, and even sometimes other Christians will condemn you and make you feel really bad about what you've done. Now, it's good to feel bad about what you've done, but if you really get down into condemnation, you won't be able to come out of that what you've done. You'll feel worse, and the enemy will beat you up. Amen? How many know that's happened to all of us? However, what God does is he brings things to the light. He shows you things that set you free. I remember when I first became a believer, when I was 28 and a half, right after that, I was deeply into drugs and doing things that I, you know, were not healthy for me. I didn't know that. And what the Lord did was he showed me from the inside. He brought revelation to me. So it wasn't that I couldn't do those things. I didn't want to do those things. See, that's the way God changes us. He doesn't say, eh, you really shouldn't do that. That's really a terrible thing. He doesn't condemn us, amen? He actually changes. He shows us what that is that's causing us harm. And so all of a sudden, we don't want that in our life. See, religion tries to change you from the outside in. It brings condemnation. It brings guilt. It brings shame. And it actually makes the situation worse. But God, because he's a loving God and he wants the very best for us, he changes us from the inside out and he brings that enlightenment to us, that revelation. He brings us and he, and he shows us things in a way that sets us free. And, uh, and, and it's interesting here. And so uh, in, in verse, I'm going to move on to verses uh, 8 and 9. Or actually, I did 8. Let's go to 9 and 10. So verse 9 says, of sin... In other words, I probably should, I'll read eight, and I'll just read eight, and that'll take you into nine. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So there's three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, then he explains what he means here, what Jesus explains what he means. He says, of sin, because they do not believe in me. Let me ask you this. How can you get forgiven of your sin if you don't know Jesus? You can do penance all your life. You can beat yourself up all your life, but Jesus is the source of forgiveness. Do you know there's only one sin that'll send you to hell? Did you know that? You know what it is? It's the rejection of Jesus Christ. If you reject the source of forgiveness, that's the only thing that'll send you to hell because there's always forgiveness through Christ. 
no matter what's happened in your life. And so really important to understand that. Thank God we have a God who loves us so much that he sets us free. And so as we know him, we know he's a God that loves us, and so he sets us free. We don't come under condemnation. We don't come under guilt. We don't come under shame. When we make a mistake, we run to him. We don't run from him. Amen? Because we know his nature. So that's number one. Number two, it goes on to say, in fact, um, yeah, number two, the second one, he says uh, that he will... And he'll convict us of righteousness. That's kind of a weird word because righteousness is a good thing. Uh, he, he'll bring to light our righteousness. Now, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. So what does that mean? Well, it means that we've been brought into right standing with God. You see, before Jesus came into our life, we were separated from God through sin and through whatever it might be. But then when we came to know Jesus, basically we were forgiven and it opened up the situation, it opened up everything where we came into right standing. Why are we in right standing? Because of what God did for us through Jesus Christ. He made it possible for us to come into right standing. You know, sometimes we don't get this because in the world we always have to work our way out of stuff. And, and yet God just gave us this free gift of life. And, and that's what changes us from the inside out. So very important here to see that it not only did he come to, does the Holy Spirit convict us of sin, or I don't even like to use the word convict, not only does, but, but actually bring to light those things that are damaging to our life so that we can get free of it, we can get forgiven and move forward with him. But the second thing is that he brings to light our righteousness. Now, if I were to ask you tonight, how many of you are righteous? Raise your hand. Okay, yep, there's several. Now, the ones that didn't raise their hand, uh, let me tell you, you're not righteous because you did everything right today. How many know you didn't do everything probably right? You probably did something wrong. Maybe you had some bad thoughts. I mean, I mean you did something wrong. I mean, is there anybody here that had a perfect day? You didn't do anything wrong. You didn't have any bad thoughts. You, you know, you were perfect. Because I'm going to let you finish the message if you're here. <laughs> See, the truth is that... <laughs> We're righteous not because of what we've done or what we haven't done. We're righteous because of what Jesus did for us. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. In Christ, he's made us righteous. So what does that mean? We're in right standing with God. God loves us. Let me ask you this. When you make a mistake, does God turn his back on you? No, because you're in right standing with him. He loves you. He's there for you. He's there to lift you up. He's there to help you. He's not there to push you down and condemn you. And so the good news is we're all righteous. So how many of you are righteous in Christ tonight? If you don't raise your hand, you need to get saved. Amen. Okay. <laughs> so the truth is I know I do things that I, I regret. And I can beat myself up and feel bad about those for a long time, or I can come to him, get forgiven, and purpose to learn from that and not to fall into that again. Amen? And so it's, it's really important to get this. So it not, only, it not only brings to light the things that are damaging to us, the sin. By the way, the word sin in the Greek is hamartia. It means to miss the mark. So where we're missing the mark, God wants us to hit the mark, and so he wants to help us to do that. Amen? And the second thing is that righteousness. Now, now, it's interesting. Um, he says here in, uh, let's see, verse 9 says, sin because they do not believe in me. Verse 10 says, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Now, 
why, no one could become righteous until Jesus went to the Father. Amen? When he died for our sins, was res- and, and then he resurrected from the dead, went to the Father, then we were brought into right standing through Jesus Christ, not through our own actions. And so that's why he says here, he explains very clearly, of righteousness because I go to my Father. Aren't you glad he went to his Father? Aren't you glad he died, gave his life for us, and then ascended to the Father and released us into the place of righteousness? And then verse 11 says, of judgment. Now, judgment, we think, well, okay, to convict the world of judgment or to bring to light judgment, but notice what he says here. In this verse, he says, of judgment, why? Because the ruler of this world is judged. Who's the ruler of this world? Could you put up 2 Corinthians 4.4? It's important to know who the ruler of this world is. Now, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the book of Psalms says. However, the ruler of this world or this world system is Satan. And in fact, it says here, Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news, and they don't understand this message because of the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So, who is judged? When Jesus went to the, when he went to the cross, then he went into the ground, and you know, three days later was resurrected from the dead and sits on the right hand of the Father. When that occurred, he said the words before that happened, it is finished. He did everything it took to bring us into that place where Satan was judged. Now, Satan had grabbed dominion. If you read Genesis chapter 1 through 3, Satan came in and he stole dominion from Adam and Eve as they sinned, as they sinned in the garden. And so he became the God of this earth, but of this world. But the good news is that Jesus defeated the enemy. Amen? He totally defeated the enemy. And the good news is if you read Revelation chapter 1, it says he took the keys to death and hell. And so he unlocked uh, he unlocked the ability for the enemy to keep us in a place and we have a home in heaven and we walk with him on this earth and so we get to make a difference while we're on this earth. So very important to see that the judgment he's talking about here is that, that Satan, the God of this world, was judged. Is that good news or bad news? You see, the good news is that Satan's been defeated. Now he will try to use intimidation. He'll try to use temptation. He'll try to use deceptiveness. He's a liar. It says in John 8, 44, it says he's the father of lies. And so he's going to try to get in your mind. And the way he does, he gets into your mind and he says these things and we receive them as our thoughts. Now, when the enemy speaks to you, he doesn't say, you're a jerk or you're unworthy or you're no good or you're, you know, why should you even go on with your life? He doesn't say that. He puts it in the first person. And he says, I am no good. I'm unworthy. I'm, I'm not worth living. I, I, you know, I, I, I. He, he tries to get you to receive those thoughts. And he plays on our mind. And as a result, he lies to us. And those lies stick in our mind. And he tries to take us. Because he's been defeated, he has to use deceptiveness. That's why it says in Ephesians 6 that the wiles of the devil or the, the, the craftiness of the devil. It says, put on the form of God, you know, because you know, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities of darkness. And, and he's talking here about the enemy's deceitfulness and craftiness. So the good news is, 
The good news is that we have victory, and so we become aware of that. The Holy Spirit begins to show us those areas where the enemy tries to take us down, but he's been judged, and he's defeated. And so understanding that doesn't mean we don't have a battle. We still have a battle, but guess what? We're on the winning team, amen? And that's important to know because, you know, the enemy doesn't like you to know that. And so that's who was judged. That's who is judged. And, uh, and very important to know that. And when you understand that, you realize that God is an incredible God and Jesus accomplished so much. Now, I want to go a little further here. And, uh, and you know, uh, let's, let's drop down to verse 13. It says, however, he, the spirit of truth, has come and he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will tell you things to come Now, notice it says that the holy spirit will guide you into all truth how many know when you have the holy spirit living in you and also that's why the word of god is so powerful when it mixes when you mix the word of god with the holy spirit it helps to guide you and lead you in truth and there's times though where you don't have a scripture that tells you what to do, and so you have to lean on the Holy Spirit. For example, let's say you're in a job you don't like and you're looking for another job. You have to be directed by him because the word doesn't say take this job and leave this job. Amen? So you have to be directed by the Spirit because you want to be in his will, and so you have, to, you have to allow him to direct you and guide you in those times. But he always leads us into truth. He doesn't lead us into error. And not only that, not only does he lead us into truth, it says he will show us things to come. Have you ever had an experience where the Holy Spirit actually uh, kind of warns you about something down the road or he shows you something or he reveals something that's good that's going to happen to your life or reveals something, you know, that you need to be aware of? Have you ever had that happen? Many times. I mean, there's so many things that come to my mind of when the Holy Spirit has literally uh, just, <laughs> just done things that have rescued us from some, some really bad consequences, or he's shown, he's kind of opened a door and said, hey, this is, this is where I'm leading you, and it's safe to go. When I first came to this church, when it was in a little tiny warehouse, and uh, this is, boy, how many years ago? It'll be 30 years, April 10th. Wow. Anyway, uh, the Lord told me to come here at a time when it was foolish to come here. $50,000 in debt, there was depression over the building, over the people, there's just a few people, and uh, anyway, the Lord told me this is where he would call me, and it didn't compute with my mind, but it was the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful that I obeyed him, because my mind said, this is crazy, you can do a lot better than this, <laughs> and yet, I couldn't have, because how many know it's best to be in God's perfect will? I remember, I remember, I remember a missionary shared, this is years ago, he said, it's better to be in an overturned canoe in the Amazon River with hungry alligators all around you and in the perfect will of God than to be living comfortably in suburbia out of the will of God. I thought, well, uh, I'd like to live in suburbia in the will of God. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, but I never forgot that. I remember uh, when he said that. It, it just hit me really hard. So, okay, now let's go a little further. Um, let's, let's move up. I want to move ahead here. I'm going to jump down just for time's sake because I want to give you a little time to get with your tables. And, and so I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. I think I have the question on the... Is it up there? Do I have it? Aha, here's the question. Now, this is an important question. I want to ask you this. When we pray, do we need to say, 
in the name of Jesus in order to get our prayers answered. So, uh, now, I want to read the scripture first, and then I'll let, I'll let you, we'll answer this together. Look at verse 23 and 24. I don't know if I have, do I have the slide for that? Oh, I do. Boy, I'm doing better than I thought. Okay, here we go. <laughs> and in that day, you will ask me nothing. Now, this is Jesus talking again as he's saying, you know, after he leaves the earth and the Holy Spirit comes. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. So, let me ask the, uh, let's put the question up again. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quiz you, and I'm going to ask you to answer this. When we pray, do we need to say in the name of Jesus in order to get our prayers? In other words, do we pray to the Father and pray in the name of Jesus in order to get our prayers answered? How many think yes? Okay, many of you do. How many think no? Okay, a few. Okay, my wife. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> it's a trick question. My wife knows the answer. Anyway, it's a trick question. Most of you didn't raise your hand. Well, actually, a lot of you didn't raise your hand because you knew I was going to trick you. Anyway, uh, I want you to think about this. Now, it's great to pray in the name of Jesus. However, I think we misunderstand it. Lots of times we take this as a formula. And so we think if I just pray in the name of Jesus, then that's going to happen. Let me explain something. At the time when this was written, a name actually had more meaning than just a name. In other words, what Jesus was saying here, he said, when you pray, pray in my name. In other words, as a believer in me and a follower of me, you're praying in who you are in me. Now, let, let me, this is going to be a little tricky for you to get because it's going to throw you at first. But <laughs> we oftentimes think of I just pray in the name of Jesus as a formula that's going to happen. But it's that we are in Christ that we personally are in Christ, and we are praying out of that place as believers in him, and then we ask through him, not just the name, but we ask through him. I want to tell you a funny story. I don't know if any of you were with us on our last trip to Israel. Uh, this was a few years ago. Uh, we took a, a, a tour, a team to Israel, and we toured there, and, and uh, it, was, it was a great time. And... and uh, we had about, I think about 37, 38 people, and we had room for about four more people, and so the guy that was the tour leader, he invited another church. It was a Messianic church. It was a pastor and the worship pastor, and two women came with us in that, and they were really nice people. But the worship leader, uh, I noticed he was telling people things from our church, and they'd come to me and said, well, he said that we shouldn't be worshiping on Sunday, that we should worship on Saturday. And I thought, oh, great. <laughs> and so he, we found out uh, there was a lot, of, a lot of things he was speaking, a lot of legalistic things that he was saying. And I thought, oh, man, you know. And apparently he didn't hear the words where Jesus said, Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And uh, people that get legalistic about what day. You know what? Do you think God's up there saying, God, sorry, guys, you blew it. I'm not going to receive your worship today. You should have worshiped yesterday. Today's Sunday. You blew it. No, that's not the kind of God we serve. You know, I don't think he minds whether we worship on Saturday or whether we worship on Sunday. Amen? And we probably should worship on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right? Amen? And so the Sabbath principle is good, but man, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to help, help us, help people. And so anyway, so then he gave a little bit of a testimony, and he said this. I'll never forget this. 
because I, I was thinking, oh, man, I don't want to deal with this, but I may have to. So he said, uh, I used to pray in the name of Jesus, but now I found out that the only time my prayers are fully answered is when I pray in the name of Yeshua. And he said, all of you need to know that God hears your prayers when you pray in the name of Yeshua. Well, by then I'd had it up to here. <laughs> I just, man, I was losing it, and I was trying to be loving and nice. And so I said, so I, I just said, hey, let me ask you a question then. What about the person that only speaks Spanish and they pray in the name of Jesus? Is that prayer not going to be heard? What about the person that speaks in another language and they pray in that name? And what about the English person that prays in the name of Jesus? I said, I prayed in the name of Jesus many, many times and see powerful answers to prayer. So you're telling me that I have to pray in the name of Yeshua for God? God's just going to say, I'm sorry, I don't receive any prayers unless you say the name Yeshua. You see what I mean, how people can get formulistic? God hears the heart. And I said, listen, I said, I'm sorry to say this, but you're wrong. God hears our heart. And so it, I don't have to say the perfect word to get my, hear, to get my prayer heard. Now, the reason I want to show you this is because some people think if they just take the formula, that's going to get the prayer answered. I want you to look with me, and I've, I've got, oh, I don't have this up on the thing. I didn't. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles. Keep your finger there, but turn with me in your Bible to uh, Acts chapter 19. And if you don't have it with you, I'll just, uh, I don't have this in a, in a, I don't have it up as a slide, but I just thought about this when I was coming in tonight, and so I didn't have a chance to put it on a slide. But, but here, here's, I want you to hear this. This is actually starting with uh, verse 12, actually verse 13. It says, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we adjure you by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirits answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, <laughs> but who the hell are you? Actually, they didn't say that. <laughs> but that's, that's, my, that's my, my translation. <laughs> but anyway, they said, who are you? Now, I think this is funny because, because then it goes on to say this. It says, then the man in whom the evil spirits was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, uh, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. In other words, <laughs> they used this formula and they were not in Christ. They did not know Jesus Christ personally. They, they didn't. And so they used this formula because they saw Paul use it and it cast out demons that way and had authority over the demonic and they got beat up. Why? Because they didn't have that relationship. They weren't in Christ. You can pray the name of Jesus, but let me tell you, it's in that relationship you have as a believer and a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit living in you, that's where the power is in your prayers. And so understand that when you come to him, you come. When I come to the Father, I don't come in my ability or in my righteousness. or I come in everything that Jesus has done. So when I come to him, I come humbly before the throne of grace. But I also come boldly to the throne of grace, as it says in, wrong, in Hebrews. I come humbly because realizing that I'm not coming in my own ability and power. I'm coming in his, in what he's done for me. So when I come to him, I know that he's going to hear my cry. Now, my prayer isn't always going to be answered the way I think it should. See, this is where we as believers think, well, this is the way God 
you need to answer the prayer. No, God, God sometimes doesn't answer our prayer the way we want it answered, amen? He's not a genie in a bottle that we say, well, this is what I want, God, so deliver it. No, we have to walk with him in that place of relationship. And really, prayer is relationship. It's not just praying a formulistic prayer. I pray this in the name of Jesus, and I expect this to happen, God, because you said it. No, I don't pray in a formulistic way. I pray in a way from my heart where I cry out to him. I'm in relationship with him. I know that he has my best interest at heart. I know that I live in a fallen world, so there's going to be bad things that happen sometimes in a fallen world, even to good people, but I keep pressing in. I believe he's going to turn those things to good, amen? Because he said in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to those that are called by God and are called according to his purpose. Those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And so I realize that as I cry out to him, sometimes my prayers are not answered as immediately as I'd like. Sometimes they're not, but it's not because I'm not praying a little, the right formula. It's not because I'm not praying in the name of Yeshua. Now, it's fine to pray in the name of Yeshua. It's pr fine to pray in the name of Jesus. It's, pr it's fine to pray in the name of Jesus. Uh, I don't know a lot of other languages, because, uh, and I'm not that good at Spanish. But anyway, uh, I do know Jesus. But anyway, here's the deal. The point is that I pray in a relationship with him. And prayer is not just one way. It's not just me. It's not like, my name's Jimmy. I'll take all you can give me. Hey, that, that's, that's, it's not just a one-way prayer. In fact, the most powerful part of prayer is as God communicates back to us through his Holy Spirit, as he, he communicates back with us. So when we're in a time of prayer, it's good to lay out what you need, but it's also really important that you listen and allow him to download what he wants to do. And it's not even though he's going to put words in your, in your mind. He may just bring peace. He may bring just a, a sense of well-being. He may just tell you he loves you or, or just not even tell you, but you just sense his love. Even in the midst of what you're going through, you sense his love, and you know that you're going to make it even though circumstantially it looks bad. Amen? And so I just want to tell you that it's really important. Sometimes we expect microwave prayer answers. We live in a microwave society where we want something hot. Psh, psh, psh. By the way, microwaves are not good for you. Anyway, I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> <laughs> but but the truth is that the truth is that you know we expect everything immediate and i want you to know that lots of times we have to per just persevere in prayer the parable that jesus told about the woman who went to the judge and he was an unrighteous judge and he didn't want to listen to her but because she kept coming to him he eventually did the right thing and i just want to tell you that it's important to to realize it's out of our relationship with him and sometimes when we're going through struggles, that's when we grow the most. I don't like going through struggles any more than you do. But in those struggles, we become even more dependent on him and realize how, de you know, how desperate we are for him, how much we need him, and how our lives will go forward even, even in the times when struggles come. And they will. Jesus, in fact, I think Brian preached on this. We were gone, but I think Brian preached on, you know, in this, in, right at the end of this chapter, it says, uh, in this world, you will have tribulation or trials or struggles. Jesus said this. He didn't say you may have or, you know, if you screw up, you may have. No, he just said in this world, you will have trials, struggles, tribulation. But cheer up because I've overcome the world. So just because you're a believer and a follower of Jesus doesn't mean you're exempt from the difficulties of life. You are not. If you look at Paul's resume in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he really went through it over and over again. 
Paul had great faith. It wasn't because of his lack of faith. In fact, much of the scriptures that we quote uh, are, are Paul's on faith. And so he, it wasn't that he didn't have great faith. He did. But he went through amazing struggles. And so I just want to encourage you, uh, you know, really continue to pray in the person of Jesus Christ, all that he's done. You can come to the Father boldly to the throne of grace, uh, you know, to receive what you, do, what you need in, in that time of need. And so we come, we can come boldly, as it says in Hebrews, boldly to the throne of grace. It's kind of a combination of humbly realizing what he's done, but I can come boldly. I don't have to snivel up to the throne and say, oh, Father, you know, uh, you know I don't have to do that. I can come boldly because he loves me and he cares about me. And so I just want to make sure you go away with this tonight. Make sure you understand that you've got the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, that you're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who, loves, who loved us. And not only that, that he wants to work with you and walk with you, and he, he loves you so much that I want to encourage you, do not give up on prayer. Do not give up. And remember, prayer is two-way. Make sure as you're praying and however you're lifting up, listen. Take that time to just receive. And, and when I say listen, we don't hear God out of the little flappers on our head. We hear God uh, in, our, in our spirit, man. That's where he communicates with us. John 4, 24 says, they that worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, God communicates into our human spirit, and then we pick it up. Sometimes audibly, sometimes tactily, sometimes, you know, we sense it in other ways. But God, communi- he's constantly communicating with us. It's not necessarily in words. And so it's really important to be able to, to be still and know that I'm God. And that word know is, it's a relational word. It's yada in the, in the Hebrew, and that's uh, Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I'm God. In other words, be still. There's times where we need to just be still and let him, let him, let, let him commune with us however he'd like to. And that'll really change the way you pray, where it's not just your laundry list, but you're listening, you're praying, and you're allowing him to download. I want to pray for you tonight, too. And I'm going to end here because I want to give you time and your tables to be able to share tonight. And uh, I think that's an important part. I could go on and on, but I'm going to stop right now. And uh, I, just want to, I just want to pray for you. Father, I just lift up every person tonight within the sound of my voice. I pray, first of all, Lord, that you'll give them a greater revelation of how you want to eradicate just the things in their life that might be harmful. You want to do it in a loving, caring way, not in a condemning, guilt-ridden way. Also, Father, I thank you that you come and you minister life in the area of righteousness, that you let us know, even when we stumble, that you've caused us to be in right standing with you and you pick us up and brush us off and get us back in the race and condemnation and guilt and shame fall away. And thirdly, Lord, I thank you that you've judged the enemy, that he's a defeated foe. He can no longer do the things that he used to be able to do because he doesn't have that authority. When we realize that, we can take authority over him. And lastly, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to know That when we pray, we pray in everything that you are because we're in you, Jesus. And when we pray in your name, it's not just a formula. We're praying in your name because we are in you, Jesus. We are in Christ. And we thank you that as we pray, Lord, we thank you that you hear our cries. And also you minister back to us. Help us to pause and to be able to receive what you have for us in those times. 
I pray you'll bless people as they go to their tables now. And uh, we just thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Anyway, I love you. Have a great rest of the evening.